Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector GP podcast. I'm your host, Bono GP, joined as always by my co-host, Alisa, who you can follow on Twitter at Alisa Vida and myself at Bono GP underscore. This week, we are going through our quarterly review of the MotoGP season and discussing the future plans of the triple header that we have going on and what we're, we'll be doing for the next three races. So, Elisa, how are you doing today and what are your thoughts on this quarterly review? Uh, I'm doing good. And to be honest, the word quarterly it just reminds me of something like a fiscal year or something. It sounds so... Uh, sounds so serious to be honest but no it's it's hard to believe that all it's already been like a quarter of the season only five races but still a lot yeah no we, we were saying this weren't we a few weeks ago in the sense of when do you cut off from saying it's only the beginning of the season and already we've done a quarter so it's almost we are in the beginning of the season but with how many races we have with sprint races it's bizarre to think that we've had 10 races in that sense but um, yeah, so we've had Portimao, Argentina, America, Spain, and Le Mans, and we have Mugello coming up this week, which is obviously a big one for the MotoGP fans. And yeah, so later on, we'll discuss the predictions that we have for Mugello, maybe do some for Saxon Ring and Assen just provisionally, because as we've learned this year, we could predict for Assen and Saxon Ring, and that rider could be injured by that chance, not by that time. and. You know, things things get a little bit messy when it gets to uh, predicting MotoGP with sprint races, which brings me on to my first point, actually. Um, me and Elisa both have our quarterly results in front of us. And looking at the top of the championship, which is Pekka Bagnaia, I'm looking at somebody that on paper has won, finished 16th, retired, finished first and retired. So that's quite bizarre when you consider points are only in the top 15. So he's won, won, and if you like, finished outside of the points in three of the five races, and he's winning the championship. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I think at the beginning of the season, some people were saying that, you know, a bit sceptical about the sprint races in, in the sense that they would impact the season like they do in World SPK. They, they are quite almost quite the same results as the as the main races but at least at this point in the MotoGP you know with sprint race obviously things could change they could settle into a status quo but at this point you know sprint races have really saved Echo's uh championship in, in the sense and for me the sprint races have really I, I think the sprint races are the best show of who is really on a good bike and who is really doing well because at when you look at the list of people who haven't scored in sprint races, it's 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 a lot, and it's it's specific to a certain manufacturers out there, sadly. But I think uh, I think the main race results are a bit masked because we have had so many DNFs in main races, as we have discussed earlier. So so sprint races have really saved saved the results for some riders, notably Peko. Yeah, I mean, vice versa with Peko is Fabio. Without sprint races, Fabio would be looking a lot healthier in this championship because his, he would be fourth. Yeah, he his would be fourth in the championship. Fourth. Yeah, he's got an eighth, seventh, a third in America, tenth in Jerez, and seventh in Le Mans. So, not incredible, but kind of somewhat consistent in the sense of scoring points, picking up top tens in every race. But the sprint races have just been diabolical for Yamaha, so it's sort of dragged them down in that sense. So. Peko yeah. and Fabio are a perfect example in Peko obviously having a great package and ultimately fair play to Peko 
turning up for these sprint races and everything working well for him. But in these full Grand Prix, I mean, we saw in America, leading the race, pressure put on him by Rins, crashes. We've seen it before with Pecco. Whereas I think in a sprint race, he's a bit more suited to that in the sense of kind of gung-ho and a lot more aggressive from the off. When it comes to managing a full race, pressure gets put on throughout the race and they're prolonged. I think that's where we've seen Pecco crumble in the past, like Le Mans last year with Bastianini. But fair play to Pecco. He is currently sat on top of the championship by one point with Marco Bezzecchi behind him, who has only had one retirement in a full Grand Prix, which was Jerez. Um, I think so. It's, yeah, it's interesting to look at, isn't it, with a contrast? Yes, it's it's. I think we all expected Pecco to be leading the championship, and possibly, you know, he could have been leading it by a lot more. But I think yeah. it's still quite surprising that he isn't. He doesn't have a huge lead in the championship at this moment. Yeah, I think everybody sort of watching Argentina full race was sitting there going, he won the Portimao sprint, he won the Portimao race. He competed in the sprint race at Argentina and was then in second place in Argentina for the race. And just before he crashed out, I think everybody sort of, without being too premature and too kind of trigger happy, sort of wrote off the championship in the sense of looking at it going... We've got a rider now that is going to be on the podium three of these four races and the Ducati just looked unbeatable. So as much as I don't want to see riders crash or anything like that, his crashes have kept this championship alive. I think that's pretty much fair to say. Yes, I think it's fair to say. To be honest, uh, for the championship, I think it's 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 not dead by any means. I, I'm not saying that, but I think the season has been a bit underwhelming in the sense that the people who you expect to be the strongest challengers sadly aren't there, as we have already. You know, Ducati is fighting one legged with Peko at this moment. You know, and they are hopefully looking a return in Mugello, but he hasn't been there for the whole season. And was as we discussed with Fabio, you know, uh, the the Yamaha really is a subpar machine at this moment. So sadly, I think. Even though the championship is closed, and obviously, you know, never say never, and we could see everything happen, and I hope it, it goes down to the line. But still, still, even if, if it's that close, it just, to me, it feels a bit like, well, it's still quite almost won, in a sense. Or like, mm. the beginning steps have been steps have been made. Yes. I mean, just again, like, it's quite bizarre to look at the championship. If you, if you weren't a GP fan and you looked at the World Championship standings, with the results next to them. Obviously, the results are only showing the Grand Prix results. Um, they do have the small letter, uh, number sorry, next to them, which is the sprint race. But without detailed context and knowing the sport in and out, you would look at Mark Marquez sat in 19th and say, well, he's finished. And, sorry, he's retired in Portugal and he's retired in Le Mans, yet he's on 12 points. So the only points Mark scored is a sprint <laughs> race, which... Again, I think if you were to say to me, all on equal machinery or all at their best machinery on their respected bikes, I think Marquez is just suited to sprint races to a T. You know, straight from the off, elbows out, sure, no prolonged kind of tyre management, anything like that, just absolute gung-ho. I've used that phrase a couple of times, but it is perfect for, yeah. for sprint races. I think Mark is perfect for that, and... Obviously, Honda are having their struggles, but it's it's I yeah, think, like I say, it's just it's just weird to look at these standings and imagine them without sprint races. Yeah, 
And I think, to be honest, I, I don't think, you know, looking looking at the whole season, I think we're going to see the Honda not, not be there overall. But I think looking at the start of the season, you, you, you kind of have to think that Mark, you know, he took himself out of the championship, like, gladly. Like, looking at Peko's results, looking at how good Mark could have been doing, possibly, you know, he has been running quite up well up there. If he had been there for the three races, you know, if he hadn't decided to go cannonball and everybody, he he could be up there in the championship, you know. I, I'm not saying he could have won it at that point, but I think it still could have been a big, big shot. So, you know, I think... Obviously, I think at this point they are looking at next year being a possibility for the championship with it being his last year. But still, you know, it's still a missed opportunity in my mind looking at the championship overall. Yeah, I mean, again, another name I can look at right now is Miguel Oliveira, who sits in 16th in the championship on 21 points. And because of his absolutely dreaded look, yeah, he's on 21 points. But it makes you think, what if? Because in Portugal, there is no doubt he would have finished top five in that race. And then because of the crash obviously happened, he wouldn't have competed in Argentina. So let's say as an average, let's give him another 15 points, which is, to be honest, with how good he was looking at the start of the year, that's being quite generous to the other riders in saying from a sprint race and a race, he would have only got 15 points. He looked that good. That's a lot of, yeah. Yeah, so then let's say top five, so minimum 10 points. They were 25 points from Argentina and Portugal. And again, Spain and France. Let's give him another 15. So 15, 25, 40 yeah. points. Miguel Oliveira would be sat on 66 points, would which would put him in the top five. I know that's that's he, been very generous and we, we're hypothetically talking there. But a rider that has had dreaded luck, awful luck in being taken out and injured for the following race it's bizarre to think that we look at that championship and go, Miguel Oliveira, 16th, no chance. But when he's on track and he's fully fit, he has looked really, really good. Yeah, it's really sad. I think this shoulder injury can be quite bad from what I've understood and what I've heard. It could be, you know, they are looking at the possible recovery without surgery because they don't want to risk the surgery, you know, taking him out for a longer time. But I... I would almost hope at this point that they would go for the surgery because to me, the strategy of waiting it out or trying to soon could be detrimental. And looking at how good Miguel has looked, you know, I think it's really sad because uh, at, at most times I, I still say that he's been the strongest Aprilia when he's been on track, you know, maybe taking out Americas because he was just coming back. But but I could very well see him being in the top five of the championship and also being the top Aprilia and, you know, finally having a bike that he he feels like he can do well on after after the years on KDM, you know, struggling with the consistency. You know, this is a a really sorry setback for him. But yeah, I just hope the injury they make small choices with the recovery of him. That's that's yeah. it's funny you say that actually because I was um I was discussing this with the guys over on Solomon Talks Bikes, which I did the podcast with recently. Check that out. Um but I was discussing with those guys that it's bizarre to think when you hear Razlan Razali saying, we're not going to pick the surgery option because the recovery is too long, essentially, and we can't afford that, when you're actually talking about a human. Do you know I mean, you're talking about a rider there yeah. that is in severe pain and we're going without surgery so we can rough it out and carry on. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Because it is quite bizarre to hear. And and we're, by no way am I saying Razlan Razali has no 
empathy or, you know, feeling towards Miguel. But when you consider business and MotoGP and you sort of just already presume these riders are just robots in that sense, what are your thoughts on that? Because it is quite bizarre, isn't it? It's it's bizarre and it's as as you have already talked on the other other podcast, uh, it's it's like a it, it, in no other sport, you know. I think motorsport, motorbikes in general, I've seen the same conversation being in MX and all the time. It's it's insane how fast these guys are, are themselves and the teams are also you know pushing to be back on track. And I think it's in in that context it makes sense. But I think in in the context of this injury specifically, it's a shoulder one, and I think it might be. I don't think it's the same boat with the humorous one that Marquez broke, but you know, looking back at it and looking back at what return Marquez made, I think with the shoulder injury, it it might be a bit of a risk to come back that soon, even if it if it would be okay. You know, you never know. The injuries yeah. are different, but yeah, in this case, I I still think that you know, probably surgery would be a better option because they still you know think about if he come back comes back and you know injures himself in some way the recovery time could be the same as the recovery time from the surgery I and mean, you'd, you'd still have to have a surgery at some point it's it, it's a risky move but obviously the doctors know the best and i i hope miguel as a medical professional as a dentist <laughs> but still would know something about you know recovery times and listening to doctors and so to speak i think he's a he's a smart dude for that so yeah and on that point with injured riders and sort of picking out individual riders, who would you say, and this is kind of on a whim, this is not really a, a pre-planned question, I suppose, but it makes me question, who would you say is your dark horse, if you like? Like who who for you has kind of gone under the radar, who you actually think's had a phenomenal year so far? That, that's a hard one, you know, I think phenomenal, I think... Um... Only one, it's it's pretty obvious, but I think Brad Binder being up there in the championship, that's a, that's a really good shout. Uh, lower down the field, I'd I'd say probably Jorge Martin. You know, he's had a he's had a good start to the season. I think, uh, given given how how I'm not saying badly the previous seasons went, but underwhelming is the word I would use. You know, uh, more expectations last year than they weren't quite met, and now I think you know he's. He stayed healthy, which is, I think, the main point of this season, obviously. And with Jorge Martin himself, you know, he's he struggled with injury the last past two, two seasons, you know, even quite, quite bad injury with his first big crash in Portimao. So I think that's a, that's a main point for him, but also solidly building the results. And I think he's a, he's a good shout to win a race again. And that's a, that's a good one from him. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with the Jorge Martin point. I mean, and the Bradbinder point, but for me... I feel like Jorge watching him, he has a bit more of, and I don't want to say he didn't have this last year, but I think it's more obvious this year. He has that bit between his teeth and a bit more of a kind of not unbothered, but I think because of Ducati giving him the cold shoulder last year and picking Anea Bastianini, I think that's made Jorge Martin be a bit more selfish. And I think he needs that. And watching him this year, even when he was fighting with Mark, I think last year, that version of Jorge Martin may not have been as quick to retaliate to Mark and been as eager to fight with him. But I think this year, he's a lot more, I'd say, unbothered when it comes to riders wanting to fight with him. 
he is not bothered in giving it back. And I don't think he's ever not had that because in Moto3 and Moto2, he is he is ruthless. Don't get me wrong, he is. He's very ruthless. But when it gets to MotoGP, and we've discussed this before in the sense of how good this grid is now with the champions you have across the board, it, you're talking the threshold is ridiculous. I think he might have been a little bit naive at times in GP and unexperienced, of course, to not go back at riders. But I think this year he looks, I think he looks a step up from what he has been in the past. And yeah, I, I think I think Jorge Martins a shout. And to be honest, I think my dark horse is going to be Augusto Fernandez. I think he's really impressed me. For I mean, obviously he's the only rookie this year, which for him, if anything, is harder because you don't have anybody to relate yourself to and compare yourself to as a rookie. Um, he's on a bike that notoriously the last couple of years has not been great. Gas Gas have come in and you know, sort of taken over the project. And I know it's the same team, so to speak, but almost like a new turn of the page. And like I say, complete rookie. This is a rider that didn't come through the World Championships to begin with, came across from European Championships, moved over to Moto2, took his chance, went from Pons to Mark VDS to Red Bull KTM IO, and ultimately won the championship and has now been put in a position to prove why he deserves that spot in GP. P4 in Le Mans, but you look at his race finishes, P13, 11, 10, 13, 4th. He scored points in every Grand Prix he's finished in, and he's finished all of them. So for a rookie on what is deemed as the worst bike on the grid last year, whether it is still the worst bike, we don't know, because obviously we've had Paul injured, who we've we've heard today won't be back at Mugello, looking to be back for Germany. So he's again, he's not had a teammate there that's really experienced and able to take spits and bobs from, or you know, just just little markers. He is basically in the dark and leading that team, and I think he's done a fantastic job. I'm really impressed with Augusto Fernandez, and I think he deserves all the credit he's getting. I don't think he deserves to be slandered by mm. people like Peko when it comes to saying we had a gas gas in P4. I think that's credit to him ultimately because first you have to finish, of course, but Across the board, he has impressed me. I think he's done really well. He's had a Q2 appearance. And I think for a rookie, that's pretty good going in your first quarter. I don't know about you, but for that's... me, that's phenomenal. Oh, yes, absolutely. I was just looking at the sprint results, so I didn't think of him. But, but yes, I think even even more, more so when you think about it, as you said, you know, Paul hasn't been there. And Paul was hired there to the gas gas to, to be the experienced one because in tech three they have had problems with having riders who don't have experience on the bike as much you know either either rookies or just new riders to kdm and obviously it's a team with less resources they have had struggled with that i think massively that's that's one one reason why they the results haven't been as they have been that they've been quite far off uh, off the KDM main team in, in that sense and i think paul was hired to be there and now obviously he sadly isn't there because he had the had the bad crash at the start of the year but even looking at that you know I think this is a, a good showing for Magusto and you know really leading the team on and honestly just just happy for the team to have that kind of result already in the start of the season and for him him himself as well you know it's not making it very obvious for KDM or the what is it called the Pierre Mobility Group who, who they should choose for next year <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah for this it's yeah I mean you know, like like you've said there, you can look at the sprint races and think, mm, 
maybe maybe not but i would always say that a grand prix is a lot harder than a sprint race sprint race you know you've got riders that are literally just 12 laps whatever it is go for it a grand prix for a rookie going up from moto 2 to gp is night and day in comparison it's completely different and the expectation is a lot higher you know you can start in moto 2 and if you don't score points in your first race in moto 2 no one's going to bite your head off if you don't score points in your first race as a GP, no one is going to bite your head off. But I'll tell you one thing, there'll be a rider in Moto2 that'll be saying, I'll do it. I'll take that ride next year. We've seen it before in the past where it's, we've had such like bizarre moves from that team specifically when we had Petrucci and Lacona just sacked in the middle of a practice session and it, you felt it was so early for a rider like Lacona who was only just getting to grips with it and went on in Silverstone to get get a top eight, I think it was off the top of my head. You know, it, it's easy to sit there and say, oh, you know, it's a, it's a fluke result. But he's proven it in every race that he can score points. And there's been some races where if you finish, you score points. But is that not credit to Augusto Fernandez in he's never been on these bikes and he's finishing results in, in front of other riders that you would say you should be beating a rookie. You know, there'll be certain teams that will look at, like, for example, Fab Fabio Di Antonio in Spain. He finished 12th. Augusto finished 13th. And that, yeah, Digi has finished in front of him. But you know, if you were Grassini, you would be sitting there saying, well, you know, you're on a Ducati. And on top of that, you should be beating a rookie. You know, you're, you're not a rookie anymore. You should be beating people like that. So the fact that Augusto Fernandez has beaten riders like that and better in other rides. I think that is credit to him. I don't think he should be discredited for just finishing the race or Le Mans, for example, in saying, oh, well, all the satellite bikes are, you know, as good as the factory bikes nowadays because we look at it last year. That bike, the Tech 3, was nowhere near the performance it should have been. So, you know, it, it, it's easy to look at in 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 comparison to other riders but when you look at Augusto a rookie no one else is a rookie on a bike that he doesn't have any solid teammate in with Paul not being there I think it's fair play to him yeah absolutely and as the saying goes to finish first first you have to finish and that's that's that's, 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 that's like I don't hold it against anyone if they finish a lot of races and at this point you know you're gonna earn points and even more that you maybe on pace, could have earned, but still, you know, if, if others are crashing, you know, that's not your fault, you know. Yeah, exactly. So with that, there are sort of dark horse picks, which brings me on to my next question. Who do you think, and maybe for my Yamaha bias, I will say, let's make it relevant to where you would expect them to be. Where would you say, or who would you say, sorry, has really underperformed for you who would you pick out and say for me that rider with what they have should be doing a lot better i mean i i still say yamaha in general should be doing better but 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 yeah yeah but otherwise underperformed you know uh where i'd expect it to be i think i think well as as a rider wouldn't it it would be easy to say yeah it's on a new bike. And, and I'm not, it, it, I'm not it feels a bit mean. I'm, I'm not, yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. be honest. You know, it's been so bad. It feels mean to say him. You know, yeah. obviously. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit different here. This, this might be a bit of a surprise. I was going to say Aleish. 
I'm going to say Alish. Yeah, Alish yeah. for me, for the standard he set last year and for the package I think Aprilia came into the year with, to see him sat in 11th place in the championship and Maverick in 7th, I don't know. I think a little a part of me feels a, a bit like Aprilia might look at that and think if that carries on, maybe it is time to start switching towards Maverick as opposed to Alay. And again, that is quite a bizarre thing to come out and say because Alicia showed them a lot of loyalty and stuck by them when they've been really poor and come through. And I do think Aprilia do trust Alicia. I don't think they'll chuck him straight under the bus because of five results. But I think Alicia will look at that and go. You know, I'm behind Fabio, don't get me wrong, is fantastic. But to say Yamaha are having the year that they're having and have had complete disaster issues when it comes to certain races, to say that Aleish will be sitting there going, the package is good, we've got two more Aprilias, the support's there, the data's there, and he's sat in 11th, I think he will feel like that's quite a disappointing start of the season. Yeah, I think Aprilia in general could be looking at the, the start of the season be, being not the greatest for them. Whereas, you know, you could see KDM really being better than expected to be at Aprilia. But Aprilia has been, I think, the loser out of out of, out of of the obvious ones, you know, in, in general, I think. And, you know, the points difference between Maverick and, and Alej isn't great. It's like seven points or something between them. So it's it's not a lot. But, but still, you know, coming from a first title charge, and I think... Uh, I think could be could be his last last in general, you know, looking at that and then seeing the results he's had and you know the one thing that he Alesh reigned in in twenty twenty one and then in twenty twenty two also was the fact that he didn't crash so much much on DNF overall. Obviously Aprilia has had their own, you know, nightmares with the with the package also not not being great and breaking mm-hmm. down, but as as well as Alesh hasn't been the most consistent himself, you know, he he hasn't and that's that's also something that's a, a bit, bit gone out. Gone out. Obviously, you have seen a lot more drivers in general, you know, crash out and stuff like that. But still, you know, the mistakes and stuff like that. You know, I don't think none of them are operating at their top window in in that team. And you know what? Across the board, it's it's pretty hard to say who is operating at the the prime or their optimal. Because I'll be honest. I think the only team that or maybe teams, if I'm being generous in a sense, that are operating at their absolute maximum are KTM, Red Bull KTM, and VR46. You could argue Pramac, but I, there's a lot of teams I think that will be looking at it going, we've not really got the maximum out of what we have. I mean, Ducati, you'd, you'd have to say that, you know, with what looks like they have, again, you would be sitting there in Argentina going, they're going to absolutely wipe the floor with everybody. And you, we thought Bastianini would be back in a matter of you know weeks. It's turned out to be that he is back at Mugello. But I, I still see, honestly, this is quite bizarre to even say, but I seriously think that Bastianini can still compete for top five in this championship. And he's not, he's not scored a point yet. It's, it's, it's likely. In this field, with these middle races, if you stay healthy, probably yes. I think I think I'd agree with you. I think VR forty six has been a definite overachiever in terms of them being so up there. And I think KDM in general, I think they have been really successful. But I, overall, even though I I praise Brad Binder's dark horse, but I think with having Jack 
right next to him, I think this is highlighting even more the qualifying problems, which is, you know, yeah. start of the season early on. He's been qualifying better, but overall he's had qualified 15th, 15th, 11th, 4th, and 10th, whereas Jack has had 5th, 16th, 10th, uh, second and fourth. Overall, Jack has been a lot better in the qualifying, whereas you know it's the opposite in races. You know they, they usually meet in the middle, and I think races have always been the strong point for Brad Binder. But I think this is still, I think, with the comparison in his own own team, if it, you know, I think it's all all fair games if you say that the KDM in last years hasn't been that great at qualifying. If everyone's qualifying in the same place, but yeah. when someone next to you is qualifying better than you, you know you only have one person to look at at that point, and that's yourself. And I think that might be the thing that kills a potential title challenge yeah. because at some point it's it's going to bite you. You can't have the results. You, you're going to crash out or have problems with the pack or just not have the greatest thoughts, which definitely haven't been the KDM's problems now, but you know, you never know. It's still putting too much at risk when you start that low. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it's it's, it's interesting to see that Jack's had a a lot more optimal when it comes to qualifying but then they almost switch when it comes to the races and you know maybe i think if anything ktm have made this quite publicly known that those two in terms of their style and in terms of where they're at in the full project with danny and and i think they have found a lot more of a consistent line in terms of where they are going with this bike whereas before it felt like it kind of lost its way a bit and they kind of got a little bit lost with the direction of the bike and obviously we didn't really know who was the lead rider apart from the fact that you know Binder had a lot bigger contract than Oliveira so you assumed it was Binder but Oliveira was the one winning on it so you you didn't really feel like there was a solid direction with the bike whereas I feel like now they're almost all tuned in to where they want to go with it, which ultimately is incredibly important. We've had that with Ducati in the past, with Piro, Dovi, whoever it may be. That bike had a clear direction and where it wants to go. Aleish with Aprilia, prime example. And, you know, it, it seems to be working. So KTM for me, kudos, take my heart off to you. They've they've done they've done incredibly well. And, you know, VR forty six for a satellite team. Uh, incredible obviously you can say they've got a ducati but though those two riders have been phenomenal for me bezeki rider of the season so far hands down in terms of the bike that he's on the package that he's on and the performance that he's had to already be sat on two race wins podium in portugal as well luca marini got a podium got his, his best ever result with the p2 i think it's only a matter of time before we see marini compete for a win if not get a grand prix win so VR46 are in a great position right now. And that sort of clarifies, I think, the the quarterly review of how we felt that it's gone. Let us know how you think it's gone on Twitter or in Discord. And that does move us on to the Italian Grand Prix that is coming up this weekend. Any initial predictions, Elisa, whether it be bad predictions, good predictions, who you might want to win, who you don't want to win? <laughs> I, I I have no idea. Probably, you know, Ducati is always going to be... There's some... So something in the if just the home race factor factor probably is gonna gonna go far for a lot of them. So I think we're gonna be a, a lot of seeing a lot of red in the in the top of the standings. But you know, you you, you Mugello still you know that there are always surprises and you know it's it's not like it's 
only Ducati track, you know, in terms of you'd think about something like the Red Bull ring. I think Mugello is more varied. You know, you have seen Yamaha do their well there in the past. Not this year, probably, but in the past. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, I, I, Mugello is fantastic for that. I mean, that's the beauty of the circuit in the sense of you've got that huge straight that obviously Ducati and the likes of the, in the past have always benefited from. I remember Rin saying year before last, I think it was, he was like, there's no point having a bike that turns brilliantly and can gain all the time in the corners because by the time you get to the straight, you've lost it all just through, you know, mm-hmm. everybody just pinning the throttle, the Ducati flies straight past. And, you know, in the past, I can see that point. Whereas now it's almost like Yamaha have gained that little bit of an advantage that they didn't have in a straight line. But because of that, typically in, in engineering, if you gain somewhere, you lose somewhere else. And that seems to be the problem for Yamaha at the minute where they've, what they've gained in 2022 and 2023 in straight line speed, they've almost lost in what ultimately and fundamentally is what Yamaha did have the advantage on, where it looks like Ducati have been able to gain their advantage in. So I think Magello will be difficult for, for for Yamaha. I think Honda will struggle. I really do. I don't, I don't see any vast improvement in Honda apart from Marquez, of, of course. Um, so yeah, it is looking more like leaning towards the Europeans still. I don't I, I haven't seen anything yet for me for for the Europeans to be looking towards the Japanese manufacturers and thinking, oh, we might have a problem here. It, it, they seem yeah. a, a, still a far way back. Then they have a problem if it's if it's Mark either canniballing them or just being there probably. But other than that, you know, not. not. Yeah, it's just yeah, and the Honda with it with with to with it being straight. I think the main problem with Honda, you you see, I think they have top line speed, but they just can't get the drive out of the corners, and I think that's uh, that's a major problem. You know, I think you don't maybe see them lose that much in the in, in a big in in, in 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 speed itself, but I think the drive they don't have. That's where they lose it all the time in the corners. Yeah, it's hard to make a prediction though, isn't it, Magello? It's not. It's never been a track apart from Rossi and maybe Lorenzo. Lorenzo went really well around it that you can look at and go, that rider will definitely be up there. It, it, it's easy to say Peko will be up there, but you have that many Ducatis that look phenomenal around there. You have Aprilia, of course, with their home race. I I think Aprilia will be strong, but we look at KTM this year. I think Jack Miller might do well. I think Brad Binder will do well. And a sprint race format to Mugello is completely different because the the tyre wear, in terms of how long you're on the side of the tyre for around Mugello, in sprint compared to Grand Prix is obviously always as it's... You're never going to get more tyre wear in a sprint than you are a race unless it's dry in a sprint and then wet in a race. But having said that, it is incredibly hard to predict. But I'm going to try and predict. Yes. All three riders that I'll put on my podium will probably crash. So is, um, is it for the main race or the sprint race? Which, the main, which one the are you predicting? Yes, yes. Race. And it's bold. It's a bold prediction. But I am going to go for... I'll go third to first to see your face okay. change. As uh, I go. The suspense. <laughs> I'm going to go for an all-Italian podium. Hmm. And I'm going to go for Bezeki third. I'm going to go for Marini second, and I'm going to go for Bastianini 
on the top oh. of the podium. I think Peko may crash, but I don't even know if, if he crashes. I think he might just get in part. I, I think he if he finishes fourth, I don't think he'll finish eight seconds back. I think there'll just be a, a group of them. I think it'll be a group of maybe five, six. I don't know. It's, it's a weird prediction, but I'm going I- again. I'm almost doing what Josh does in going for what I kind of don't think will happen because that will probably what will end up being happening happen sorry whereas if I go with what I think will happen they'll all crash I think I think Pekka will win I'm going for I think I, I think so one of the VR46 boys is going to be at the podium I think the other one is going to crumple under the pressure of Mugello and not do well I think that's that's always the always the bad bad things with the home races. I think well, let's go for a Bezeki podium so the, uh, for the second one. I think I think Bastiani will be third. I think I think he's he's gonna be quite healthy at this point, but he isn't race fit. He hasn't raced that bike now this year, so I don't think it's it's enough for a victory shall yet. Yeah, but that's, it's still that's a home race. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've gone yeah. I've gone for the home home win for Bastianini only because. It's in Mugello. I think if he was coming back for Saxon Ring or Aston or wherever, and let's say that Ducati were strong at that particular circuit, I wouldn't go for Bastianini. I just have this, just this, I don't know what it is, like this dopamine hit brewing inside of me to I wait mean, it, for it would be glorific. Oh, it's, it would be amazing. Imagine if he came back and beat Pecco on the same in bike in Mugello. Oh, in his my first race back. God. That would be incredible. That would be incredible. And hopefully it, it the, the scenes would be the same, even worse than looking at, you know, when Danilo won the race and Dobby lost out on it. <laughs> that, was yeah. not, that was not fun for them. That was very much a race where you were watching it and you could see Petrucci almost being like, if you think I'm moving to one side for him, you are dreaming. And yeah. no Italian ever... Is going to move to one side to let another Italian win. No, no, way no way, her. no way, no way. It would never happen. It would be like if Mia moved to one side for Marquez to win in Jerez. It's just not. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. Like I know Jerez nah. left for the home race as like I mean obviously Mia's Mallorcan, but the most home race for Mia is Barcelona. He would never move to one side. To let Marquez win in a, a Spanish, not going to happen. Not going to happen. The only way that would happen is if it was Valencia and it was last race of the season, and it was you know. Apart from that, it wouldn't happen. But yeah, yeah, no. I think we're sort of agreeing that the Italians are going to be all up. Yeah, for but it. I think when we say this, I think it's going to be somehow, somehow it's it's going to be then the podium with no Italians on it or something. <laughs> the podium will be Martin, Zarco, Binder. Like, it will just yeah. be three non-Italians. I mean, you, you could still get a non-Italian podium for the Ducatis, I think. Could you? Wait, who are on the Ducati? Well, Martin, Zarco, and Marquez. Yeah, you could have a non-Italian Oh, yeah. Yes, podium. you could yeah. have. I mean, Alex Marquez is to do a good result, you know, after after having some troubles lately. So, yeah, I mean, the in the, yeah, the inner me is thinking, can it just be Fabio? No one else, no one else, and just everyone else, just not finish. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like if, I, if, I think it would be at this point, it would almost take that for Fabio to win. Not not everyone else being out, but like most 
most yeah. guys. If Babu and Morbidelli can have, I mean, again, I'm talking in riddles in the sense of Yamaha this year, but I genuinely think for me, if Fabio got a top five in that race, I would be happy because of where they're at. Yeah. Just because of where they're at. Obviously, ultimately and objectively looking at the full season, I would not be happy with that. But I think Fabio, all in all, will take top five because top five, I'm already going, will he make it into Q2 with that? Bike? Yes. Which is bizarre yes. to say, isn't it? It's, it's, it's Fabio. Bizarre. Yes. I think and, I think for the rest of the season, if if Yamaha gets a podium, couple that would be a really good turnaround. After I mean, after imagine the saying season. that two years ago. Imagine saying yeah. that two years ago. It's, it's it's yeah, it's it's incredible to even be thinking that, let alone saying it. But yeah, and again, another rider I've not even mentioned in terms of predictions who I think will do well, Miguel Oliveira. He's done well oh. there in the past. He was. In fact, we aren't wrong, sure if he races. We're not sure. Are we we're sure? Not sure? Yeah. But if he, he does, could. I think he'll do well. And if memory does serve me right, and again, this is this is incredibly nerdy <laughs> if I've got this right, but I think Miguel was the first ever Portuguese rider to win at Mugello in 2015 on Moto3. Could be wrong. But everyone listening to that, interesting. If you if you know the answer, please tell me if I'm wrong because I think I might be. But I'll go with that as my my fact of the day, if you like. But he's done well wow. there in Moto Three. I think he may have. Did he win in Moto Two? I don't know if he won, but he's done well there in Moto Two in the past, and he got on the podium, if you remember, in 2021 with Jean Mir when he was on the KTM and Jean Mir with the green. When Miguel slightly Ooh. touched the green and got demoted to P3, if you remember. Oh, yeah. There you go. So he, he, does, he does well at Mugello, does Miguel. Um, whether he'll be there, as you say, we don't know. And obviously, we have last year's pole sitter, Digian Antonio, who might have yes. a better result. Who I think he's doing okay this season. We've got 10th, a retirement, 10th, 9th, 12th, 8th. So an average result of about 10th this season, which is not bad. But... We don't know where his position will be next year. So I think in order yeah, to keep his seat, he would have to have a good Mugello race. Yeah, I think I think he's, he's scoring points, which is a good a good thing. And then also, I don't think it's a disaster. But I think, you know, as it's, it's about to be for Digi and anyone, you know, you're going to be compared against who, who are else is on the Ducati. And obviously, that's, that they are not on the factory team, but still, you know, you have Alex Marquez there on the team, despite not having the greatest results of late. You know he's still shown the speed, and I think that's um, yeah. As always, I think the qualifying is really what's killing Digi's races in general. Mm. So I think that if he gets that sorted out, you know, I think he has a chance. But yeah, we'll see. And what MotoGP podcast would we be to not put Mark Marquez in the hat of predictions of a race result uh, when it comes to any race ever? I mean, we could sit I mean, here and say he won't win. But it's Mark Marquez, so you never know. He he could he could be first for like three laps and end up ninth and be like, "Yep, that makes sense." Like you just don't know. Yeah, do you? I think I think he's he's. I mean, I'm not saying he's gonna take it calmly. I, I think he'll have a solid result in Mugello, you know, to build up because we're heading to a triple header, and then we, the next one is Saxon Ring, and we all know what's gonna happen there. So I think I think yeah. for for Mark, I think it it could be good to have a podium because he hasn't had a podium for for the first races at all so so a little bit take the pressure off 
of having to have the result is Axon Ring. Mm. But I think, you know, probably out of everyone, I think Mark having come back and not had the result and had, you know, been before his first win back in Saxon Ring, you know, he had three non scores before that. And I think coming back to win, I think it's it's not impossible impossible for him to do well, even if he has had bad results like he's had this season at the start of the season DNFs. I don't think for him, I don't think it's 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 a, too much. But yeah. Yeah. I think it's I mean, gonna be a top five probably yeah, in, in think, these races. I think like a fifth, sixth for Mark in Magello. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're gonna assume that he's gonna win Saxon Ring, which brings me on to sort of other predictions. I think I said in the predictions that you created at the beginning of the season that I said Bezeki would do well at Assen. I think I said recently that somebody would win in Assen, but I could be completely wrong. I feel like I said I, at some point you or... predicted a lot of winners. I, I don't remember which episode it was, but I think we predicted a lot of winners for the next races. Yeah. Mm. I think Mark will win in Saxon Ring and I think either Bezeki or Vinales will win in Assen. They're my predictions for those two. I think I think it's a good shot. <laughs> nah, but I think I think Fabio might do okay in Saxon yeah. Ring. I think he had a good result. You know, he's he's been okay there, and I think it's it's a circuit. It's it's a small circuit, and I think you know overtaking is harder there in general. So I think if he can qualify well, I think I think he can have a good result there. I'm not saying much. He do, he, yes. Apart from when I said he'd do well in Aston and he crashed, um, <laughs> th- you know, Yamaha typically do well at Aston, typically, and that sort of style that you need for Aston, you need to be smooth, you need to be, you know, kind of the Yamaha kind of style, I think, does suit Aston, and he's won there in the past, so... It could be a good three races for for Fabio. It could be three absolute disasters. <laughs> you, you you don't know, do you, with Yamaha at the minute? But yeah, I think, yeah. I think that kind of summarizes our quarterly review and our next three races sort of predictions. Oh, um, I on, have a last please. shout before we go. If you haven't watched the Mark Marcus All In documentaries because they were on Amazon Prime, they are now all of the episodes are free to watch on Red Bull TV. I would recommend that. Oh. I think yes. And I think I you know overall, if you if you haven't checked Red Bull's website, they they produce a lot of documentaries and stuff like yeah. that. It's around all sports, but in motorsports in general, you know they are involved in everything. So I'd I'd recommend most of those. They are good quality. I think you get into a lot of them. I think uh, even if you don't have any particular alliances to Red Bull itself, I think the work they do in in sports and promoting talent, you know, MotoGP and elsewhere, you know, they have. They have their feet dipped in everywhere, so I think mm. I would recommend that. But yeah, the Mark Marquez only documentaries there, and I think it's a good move in general to have it free on air there. Yeah. I second that actually completely with um, Red Bull TV. They obviously have Red Bull rookies on there, so if you want to watch the up and coming talent through MotoGP, be sure to go and watch that through there. You can watch the likes of Eddie O'Shea that we've had on in the past, Reece Stevenson, another Brit that's competing in Red Bull Rookies. Um, they have a Finnish rider as well. They have a Finnish rider there as well, we like a... the only Finnish rider I know, Rico yeah. Salabella. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we have we have great talent coming through at Red Bull Rookies, which obviously Red Bull completely sponsor and run through Red Bull TV. They also have other documentaries on there, like they have one that I've watched in the past that's Davizioso's documentary that's on there for free. 100% go on Red Bull TV. And if you're a GP fan, motorsport fan, F1 fan, they have 
as Alisa said, they do have their toes dipped in absolutely every motorsport scene you could imagine. And it's Red Bull, so they do an incredible job at promoting it. And their production team is, you know, upper echelon. It's it's incredible. It's no, you know, kind of flip phone camera or anything that you get scenes from. It is very high production and the standard is incredible. Yeah, I've been... Yeah, I've been watching on the MX side, you know, they had a great documentary on a couple of years back on the season in general. I think they do a great job with the Lawrence brothers in the USA. And they also had with the, uh, possibly going to be the future champion, you know, Jeffrey Hurlings, if you had uh, the name behind the bullet. It's a whole, just following the whole season, every race, his journey. So one of those is a shout out for the documentary as well, if you want to yeah. watch. Even if you are listening to this now and you've, watch things like drive to survive whether it's your cup of cup of tea or not it's it's not specifically like that but in terms of the behind the scenes aspect things that a lot of motorsport fans tend to like because obviously a lot of the production we get to see is live it's fresh it's press conferences it's pr the behind the scenes aspect is something that i think a lot of motorsport fans tend to warm to so Red Bull do a great job on that side of things, I think. And I think it. they did a series with Jack Miller as well last yes, year. I think it was really fun. I haven't watched all of the episodes, but some of them, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, a lot of these riders that you see that are Red Bull endorsed and sponsored by, they, they've all had their moment with Red Bull, whether it be short clips at home from growing up and stuff like that, that they've done training videos with. Chances are it will be on Red Bull TV. So, again, we're not sponsored to say this <laughs> at all. I wish we were. But, um, yeah. no, just from Imagine a Imagine Red Bull sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But just from a general um, motorsport point of view, they do a fantastic job on there. And, again, yes, a lot of it is, and I'm pretty sure most of it, if not all of it, is free. Um, it's all, all it's free, I think. Yeah. So what's not to love? Um, Mark Marquez All-In Documentary was fantastic. I'd... I could watch another 50 episodes of that and not get bored. I think it was a great, great production from the kind of covered up Mark Marquez production company. <laughs> the first um, brothers, I think. What, what, what yeah. was it, the name? Yeah. yeah. So um, even though it's through Mark's production company, obviously it's all through Red Bull as well. So it is on there, as Elisa says, which is definitely worth checking out. And yeah, in terms of what I said earlier on, in terms of our plans moving forward, we are looking to have a couple of guests on in the next few weeks. And I, th- I don't think I'm here for one of the reviews. So it'll be Elisa and a guest to be announced. So we've got a few things lined up. We obviously have the summer break coming up, which we'll try and get a few guests on for as well. And yeah, if you have enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review on any audio platform of your choice that you are listening to us on. You can follow us on Twitter at RedSectorGP, same as Instagram that will post our episodes up on there. And if you like a quiz and you like stress, with a quiz, be sure to follow me on Instagram at BunnoGP and join Elisa and many others in guessing the circuit and year that I've started to do as a bit of a trend. And Elisa will probably tell you. A lot you of now. fun. It's, yes, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's hard, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, so um, be sure to join that, get, get following that and get involved. And ultimately, through that, we post our monthly results on Discord, which you can follow on the, the, the podcast Twitter my Instagram or wherever. If you follow us on anywhere, you'll find the, the, the Discord on there. I post it regularly on my story. And you can get involved with the others that respond to those those quizzes and listen to the podcast and just general GP fans on there. So that's been us. That's been me, BonoGP underscore on Twitter. That's been Elisa, Elisa Vida on Twitter. And with that, 
keep the throttle pinned. 